This morning's reading is Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I've overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord for he has been good to me. The word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, what we need most this morning is for you to address us. What we need most is to come face to face with your reality in the scriptures. What we need most is for you to change our hearts. What we need most is to see the world and our lives and reality are right in light of what you teach us. So Father, please do that. Please help me to speak clearly. Please help us all to listen. Please open the eyes of our hearts. Amen. One night, a man had a dream. He dreamed he was walking along the beach with the Lord. Across the sky flashed scenes from his life. For each scene, he noticed two sets of footprints in the sand. One belonged to him and the other to the Lord. When the last scene of his life flashed before him, he looked back at the footprints in the sand. He noticed that many times along the path of his life, there was only one set of footprints. He also noticed that it happened at the very lowest and saddest times in his life. This really bothered him, and he questioned the Lord about it. Lord, you said that once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way. But I have noticed that during the most troublesome times in my life, there is only one set of footprints. I don't understand why, when I needed you the most, you would leave me. Now look, many of you will recognise that, I'm sure, from the famous footprints poem. Uh, Some people find that a bit twee and overly sentimental. It's certainly the sort of thing that you can find in that kind of naff corner of most Christian bookshops alongside the kind of smile, Jesus loves you, pencil cases and rainbow pencil erasers and things like that. I have to say, with certain caveats, I'm quite a fan of, of that poem. Um, and we'll, we'll get to the end of it later. But as we leave it, when we leave it there, at the point of tension in the poem, it certainly does raise certain issues for us. It raises issues about the relationship between our circumstances and God's love for us. Is God's love something solid that you can pin your life on? Is God's love something solid that when you need it, it'll be there? Or is it like a mirage in the desert? when you're desperate for it, when you reach out for it, it vanishes. There's no substance to it. Does God forget about us in tough times? Or do we experience tough times precisely because God forgets about us? You know, of course, for for many people looking on at the world, looking on at Christianity, the amount of pain and suffering in the world is, to them, 
incontrovertible evidence that, that God doesn't exist. Perhaps you're someone who the evidence of your life and the world is, is leading you quickly towards that conclusion yourself. I don't know about you, but isn't it, isn't it often the case that, that when we're suffering, it's not just the suffering we have to deal with if we're Christians. In fact, often it's the feeling of being abandoned by God in our suffering that somehow, sometimes, can be worse than the suffering itself, isn't it? That certainly seems to be the experience of the man who wrote the psalm that Christy just read for us. We're on page 548. If you've closed your Bibles, do open them up. It'll help to follow through. There's an outline of where we're going, as always, on the back of the service sheet. Look how, look how it starts. And I'm glad Christy read it with such, with such passion because it is, it is a passionate, passionate psalm. Look how it starts. How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? And look, from that, that bit at the top, we can tell that it's written by King David of Israel. Uh, as with most of the Psalms, it's actually quite difficult to pinpoint exactly what circumstance in his life was going on when he wrote it. Uh, it's clearly a time of distress and suffering in his life. Perhaps it was when his son Absalom rebelled against him and tried to kill him. Perhaps it was earlier in his life when the jealous King Saul, who had twigged that David was going to be the one who would replace him on the throne, had set about and chased him all across the countryside to try and kill him. We don't know. We don't know precisely what the circumstances were that occasioned this psalm. What we do know, though, is that he was suffering. And what we do see is that it's, a, it's an intensely personal psalm. Yes, I mean, this was written by David the king. And obviously, when we, when we hear our queen speak on TV or on the radio or something like that, you know, obviously, it's a fairly polished uh, bit of PR. It's got to be, hasn't it? I mean, you're not gonna, you're not gonna have a reality show of Buckingham Palace anytime soon, are you? But here, here, this is, this is an intensely personal window into, into the heart, into the soul of King David. Look how personal it is. I mean, just the sort of uh, first person pronouns. Will you forget me forever? Will you hide your face from me? I wrestle with my thoughts. There is sorrow in my heart. O Lord, my God, give light to my eyes. I trust, my heart rejoices, I will sing. It's a man before his God, a man dealing with suffering, a man dealing with a, with a deep sense of being abandoned by his God in the midst of that suffering. So we'll deal with the first little chunk first. I've called it the pain on your handouts. Verses 1 to 2, the pain. And look at, look at it four times repeated. How long, O Lord? How long? How long? How long? Four times. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? And as I say, we don't know exactly what the circumstances were in David's life when he wrote this. Presumably, perhaps it was, it was physical threat from enemies, military enemies, uh, 
Perhaps he's talking about the emotional pain. Perhaps that's what he's talking about. Some people suggest, I think it's probably an outside chance for this, some people suggest perhaps he's even wrestling with an illness. But as we said, it does seem to be that the thing that David starts with, what he's most concerned about, what is most cutting him up, is not the actual suffering itself, but with the sense of rejection that that suffering causes him to feel. You could say this is the this is the lonely cry of a child of God who feels abandoned by his father. So the second line in verse one: How long will you hide your face from me? Now, if we know a bit about our Old Testaments, we'll know that in the Old Testament, when when God turns His face towards you, that is a wonderful, precious thing. When God turns his face towards you, that means he is committed to you to help you and bless you practically. And so we say with that great blessing, don't we? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. That's when the Lord turns his face towards you. How awful then when the Lord turns his face away from you. Or how awful, I should say, when it feels like the Lord has turned his face away from you. See, it's not just that he has withheld practical blessings when it feels like he's turned his face away from you, but as the very phrase itself implies, the real kicker is that when you feel like the Lord has turned his face away from you, it's the breakdown in relationship. It's the the friendship with God soured. It's the feeling of alienation and aloneness from God. That is the real pain that comes when we cry out, how long, O Lord, how long will you keep your face from me? You know, and David's cry at the end of verse 1, how long will you hide your face from me, has even more poignancy when we remember that this is the same David who on another occasion, in another psalm, would write this, one thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Seems this psalm here, Psalm 13, this, this is a man who feels himself estranged and abandoned by the one person he needs most in his suffering. Verse 1, will you forget me forever? Perhaps if David knew when this estrangement would end. Perhaps if there was a promise like, it will be bad, but on this point it will change. Perhaps then he could get through it. Perhaps if he saw light at the end of the tunnel, he'd be okay. But as David contemplates the future, hope is an emotion that he doesn't know if he can ever feel again or anymore. One grey, painful day follows another. Oh Lord, will you forget me forever? I'm sure there's many of us here this morning who felt like that. And then verse 2, we move on. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? I don't know when the last time you had to wrestle anybody. Perhaps it was a stroppy toddler trying to get them to sleep or into the pram or something like that. I, um, I, uh, last year, actually, while I was at Bible college, I, with one of my tutors, uh, I took up jiu-jitsu. And there's a, bit of, there's a bit of wrestling involved with that. And flipping heck, it's exhausting. 
I mean, one of the, one of the things I like most, this is why I'm happy to pay my five pounds each week, is if, if, if the sensei is teaching you something and he, he's a good laugh and he'll put a move on you or something and he'll, he'll sort of tease you a little bit, you know, try and get out of that. And that obviously kind of stokes all my sort of, uh, competitive streak and I'll sort of start wrestling with him and be down on the mat. And then for me, it'll feel like I've been down there 20 minutes and I'm getting up and I can hardly breathe and sweat is pouring off me. You know, you look at the clock on the wall and you've, you've been down there two minutes or something. Wrestling, wrestling, yeah, it's exhausting. You know, and I joke about it through there with a toddler or, or wrestling at jiu-jitsu. But many of us will know that the, the agony, I guess, of, of wrestling with thoughts. That's how David feels, verse 2. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? And perhaps we wonder what's going through David's mind. God, why are you letting this happen to me? I'm your king. God, what does it say about your glory if you let an enemy triumph over me? Or perhaps just much more personally, God, why is this happening to me? God, I thought if I followed you, things would go well. God, do you love me? You know, those sort of questions are hard to contemplate, aren't they? They do snake into our minds when we're going through pain, when we're going through suffering. They're hard to deal with. But interestingly, some, isn't, it, isn't it the case that actually, I mean, those pains are hard, those questions are hard to, to contemplate when we're, when we're going through the mill. They're equally hard and sometimes even harder to contemplate, I think, when we see other people going through the mill. I mean, many of you, I'm sure, will know Paul Dawson down at um, St. Andrews, Chelsea, one of the other pastors in our co-mission network. Many of you will know that uh, a number of his, of his children have severe, severe migraines, such that he has to spend days at a time sometimes seeing his children weep in pain at their headaches. And been to all the doctors, and no diagnosis seems to make any sense. The prognosis is, well, we just don't know. Perhaps it will carry on and carry on and carry on. And when we see those we love, even those we only know from a distance, just going through the mill, those who love the Lord, but yet seem to have to day by day by day cry out, Lord, how long will you forget me forever? Don't, don't we wrestle with, don't we cry out, God, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Why don't you give him a break? And of course, those kind of thoughts themselves are exacerbated when we buy into that, I think, we have to say worldly wisdom, although it's very easy to buy into it, that worldly wisdom that seems to suggest, well, if I'm good, if, I'm, if I follow Jesus, then I'm surely things are going to go well for me. That worldly wisdom that assumes that if, if things are going well, it must somehow be because God's pleased with us, and if things are going badly, it must be the opposite. And we buy into that, all sorts of things can muddle through our brains, can cause us agony in our thoughts. Because when we do that, circumstances become the barometer of whether we feel loved by God. And when that happens, it's the feeling of abandonment that can be as bad as whatever circumstances are causing us pain. 
Those are the thoughts that are so exhausting to wrestle with. Those are the type of thoughts that sap our joy. Those are the type of thoughts that, that snake into our brain and coil around our hope. The thoughts that lead many of us down the dark path of depression and the daily sorrow that David describes in verse 2. How long, O Lord, the pain? And we move on because David wisely, in his pain, does the only thing that he can do. Verses 3 and 4, the prayer. David cries out, look on me and answer, O Lord my God. And in the Hebrew, literally, it's it's staccato. It's look, answer me, O Lord my God. And we'll have all been there when you are at the end of yourself and all you can do is cry out and pray. And if you haven't been there, you will be there one day. I mean, just as a little aside, I don't know what you think about this. Uh, many of us, I'm sure, will be familiar with the idea of Christian counselling. And I think it's wonderful that many of the church, uh, churches in this country are sort of cottoning on to that idea of how teaching each other and teaching ourselves how to, how to pastor each other and how to apply God's truth deep into our lives, how to speak the truth to ourselves, how to preach to our souls when we're in pain. And that is brilliant. And please, we must carry on doing that. But sometimes you are just so broken that you don't have the emotional or the spiritual energy to preach truth to yourself. Sometimes all you can do is just say, look, answer me, God, help. I am broken. And that is a healthy, that's a healthy yet painful place to be. David prays, verse 3, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. Give light to my eyes. You know that, that phrase, give light to my eyes, it's a, it's a fairly complicated or difficult phrase to actually pin down exactly what it means. The words used are not used much in scripture. It's used of the time when um, Jonathan, King Saul's son, scoops up some honey uh, and eats it at the end of a long day's march and his eyes become bright. It's used then. Uh, It's used in other circumstances of uh, emotional encouragement. It's used in other circumstances of some sort of uh, spiritual or moral understanding. So it's not entirely clear what it means. Perhaps it's got something to do with all three of those things. Physical strength, renewed energy, moral understanding, emotional fortitude. Perhaps it's a prayer for all three of those things. Oh Lord, help me. Give me life. Give me hope. Help me to understand my circumstances properly. Lest, verse 4, lest my enemies would say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. David prays such a prayer because death looms for him. You know, I don't, I don't suppose he's talking in the first instance uh, about, about suicide, but he might be, might have crossed his mind. His enemies certainly will gloat if God does not act to do something for him. So the pain, the prayer, the desperate prayer, and we wait for the answer. And that comes, verses five and six, the peace. 
I don't know if you notice, it does, it does seem that the psalm breaks down into these three sections, verses 1 and 2, verses 3 and 4, verses 5 and 6. Now, I guess if you're an English lit student, you call those the stanzas of the poem. Perhaps you remember that from school. And each stanza is, is shorter than the one before it. So you had the relatively long first stanza, which is the, the, the turbulence, the pain, and the shorter one that is the, the prayer. And then finally, the last one. Perhaps one commentator suggests a short, a short stanza because it is a simple yet profound peace that David finds. Verse 5, David's prayer has been answered, but I trust in your unfailing love. In the Hebrew, the, the but I is sort of emphatic. It's meant to draw our attention to the fact that, look, this is, this is the turnaround. This is the resolution. This is the new resolve. This is a person whom God, for whom God has answered that prayer, give light to my eyes. His eyes have been enlightened because he's remembered, what? Verse 5, that God's love is unfailing. But I trust in your unfailing love. And again in the Hebrew, the emphasis is not so much on the action of trusting, but in the objective, concrete reality of God's unfailing or steadfast love. You know, as far as we can tell, there have been no changes outwardly in circumstances, no miraculous defeat of the enemy, no easy end to the thing that caused the initial suffering. What has changed is that David has remembered that God's love for his children is faithful. David began by questioning whether God had forgotten him. He now remembers that God's love is unfailing. And you think it's a bit simplistic, but I've put that on the sheet, just with two gaps. And you might want to take the pen in front of you and write that on there to help in your, either because you need to know this now in the midst of your pain, or because you need to get this sort of in your, your spiritual bank account, as it were, for when the times of trial come, and you need to remember this. God's love is unfailing, not forgetful. Write that in there if it will help you remember it. God's love is unfailing, not forgetful. I was reading a commentary when I was preparing this talk um, by the great old pastor Charles Haddon Spurgeon. What a name. Uh, it made me kind of glad, actually, that Spurgeon isn't my pastor, because he, he puts it very bluntly. He says, ah, David. I don't know if that's how Spurgeon talked, by the way. Ah, David, how like a fool you talk. Can God forget his own beloved child? But, you know, though he puts it bluntly, he's right. God's love is unfailing, not forgetful. We come back to that poem that we started with. Lord, I have noticed that during the most troublesome times in my life, there is only one set of footprints. I don't understand why, when I needed you most, you would leave me. The Lord replied, my son, 
my precious child, I love you and I would never leave you. During your times of trial and suffering, when you see only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. If you're a Christian, you can say with confidence, God's love is unfailing, not forgetful. Regardless of external circumstances, God's love is unfailing, not forgetful. But some of you will be here, you'll say, really? Is that not just an emotion, some sort of emotional crutch? Is that not just wishful thinking? Really, you, you Christians are just, you're deluded. You're deluded. We live in a, a random universe and bad stuff happens. All this talk of God's love being, being unfailing. Really? Well, a Christian, a Christian, I dare say, alone out of all the religions of the world has something concrete in the past to look back on, the token of God's unfailing love. See, look, David, David looked back to the past. Verse 5, second line. My heart rejoices in your salvation. And again, we don't, we don't know exactly what salvation David is looking back to then. Perhaps it was that amazing heroic defeat with the sling of David and Goliath. Perhaps it was any number of the battles that he won against the Philistines. Perhaps it was when he ducked and dodged Saul's spear. As Saul was trying to kill him. We don't know. But David says, my heart rejoices in your salvation as he looks back. And obviously, if we are a Christian, how much more do we have to look back on when it comes to looking back at God's salvation? We, of course, have the death of Jesus on our behalf to look back on. See, David here, doesn't he, cries, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you forget me? And he cried that when, in truth, God hadn't forgotten him. But how different, in that sense, was the cry of his ancestor hundreds of years later? How different was the cry of Jesus on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there, that cry was not the cry of a man whose pain had clouded his mind to the reality of God's presence. When Jesus cried it, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was an accurate portrayal of what was going on. When Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago, he was abandoned by God his Father. Actually, really abandoned. Because he was taking the punishment for the sin of the world. 2,000 years ago, King David's great son was abandoned by God so that you and I and anyone who would trust in him could be brought near. God cutting off his son because of our sin. God demonstrating in history how bottomless his faithfulness towards us is. See, David looks back at a salvation And if we're Christians, we look back on the cross. We look back on the fact that God gave his son for us while we were yet sinners. And we can rejoice in that, can we not? It is evidence in the past that God's love is unfailing, not forgetful. And of course, as we remember the past, we look to the future. 
That's what David does, verse 6. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. I'll sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. Uh, it's a bit weird, isn't it? The tenses seem a little bit confusing there because the singing is in the future, the good seems to be in the past. What's going on there? Well, one commentator suggests that the past tense sort of springs evidently from David's certainty that he will have such a song to offer in the future. Because God's love is unfailing, not forgetful, David is now so confident that there will be a time when he can, he'll be able to look back and praise God for his deliverance, that he's able to speak about it now as if it had already happened. And it is true that if we are trusting Jesus here this morning, when we cross over that threshold into the promised land, whether it's soon or many years from now, when the new heavens and the new earth lie open before us like the first day of a school holiday, and when we look over our shoulders and we survey our lives and all the ups and downs, and all the pain, and all the bumps, and all the agony. When we look back, we will not find any cause to chide God. We will only be able to look back in hushed wonder, and praise God for the way he used the pain, the way he used the good times, the way he used the agony, the way he used the the thoughts that we had to wrestle with. We will only look back with hushed wonder and praise God for how he ordered our lives the way he did. We will see that even in our darkest moments, the events of our lives were not arbitrary accidents that afflicted us because God had abandoned us. We will see that we were never left alone to fend for ourselves in a hostile universe. We will see that our circumstances, if we are Christians, were not the punishments of an angry God but were the wise orderings of a father who loves us more, more purely, more effectively than we love ourselves. A father whose love, regardless of circumstance, is unfailing, not forgetful. And that means that if we are a Christian, we can, in the present Here, today, say with confidence and say with Paul that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that is a wonderful place to be as we face the next step along our lives. Jesus' loving challenge to us this morning through this psalm is this. Will you trust that no circumstance can separate you from my unfailing love? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you will write this truth on our hearts, that your love is unfailing, not forgetful. Father, we pray this for those of us who are suffering and who are crying out how long this morning and who need this as balm and comfort. And we pray this, Heavenly Father, for those of us for whom life is pleasant at this point in time and who need to know this and have this logged in our brains and in our hearts 
for the times when things are darker. Write it on our hearts, Heavenly Father, we pray. Protect us from that foolishness of using our circumstances as a barometer for how much you love us. I pray this for Jesus' sake and for our good and our perseverance. Amen.